1: Welcome to Squawk Box, who are your headlines today? Stocks in Asia slip after a sharp drop on Wall Street as the U.S. slaps visa restrictions on Chinese officials over the abuse of Muslim minorities ahead of tomorrow's trade talks.
2: Fed Chair Jerome Powell expects the U.S. expansion to continue and says the central bank will grow its balance sheet, but insists it's not QE. The growth of our balance sheet for reserve management purposes should in no way be confused with the large scale asset purchase programs that we deployed after the financial crisis.
3: Sterling slides after Downing Street suggests Brexit talks are close to collapse, while the Irish Prime Minister, Leo Varadkar, says it will be very difficult to reach a deal before EU leaders meet next week. And top energy executives from across the globe meeting here in London against the backdrop of the Extinction Rebellion protest, with protesters demanding more action on climate from both the industry and the UK government.
1: The Trump administration has imposed visa restrictions on some Chinese officials. It suspects of being involved with the detention and abuse of Muslim minorities in northwest China. The move comes ahead of high-level trade talks between Beijing and Washington, set to kick off tomorrow. So with that as a precursor, let's just take a look at some of that market action, Juliana.
2: Well, it's been a tough backdrop for markets this week, and yesterday we saw U.S. stocks turn lower yet again, the S&P 500 ending about 1.6% lower, every sector in the red, the Dow about 1.2% lower, and the NASDAQ, that tech-heavy index, down about 1.7%. Now, as you mentioned there, Karen, we saw another escalation of tensions between the U.S. and China, with the U.S. going ahead and imposing visa restrictions on Chinese officials. Now, they have tied those restrictions to the treatment of some Muslim minority groups in China. So not exactly trade-related, but of course, given the context, given the date that we're heading into those U.S.-China trade talks, difficult not to conflate the issues and that uh, weighing on sentiment. We also heard from the Fed, as you heard there in the headlines, with Jerome Powell speaking yesterday in Denver. And uh, there we heard that uh, he signaled the FOMC has agreed the time is now to increase the overall size of the Fed's balance sheet to supply more reserves, to the banking system, very clearly trying to keep the, this move distinct from quantitative easing. Although it sounds like it operationally, this is going to be uh, targeted toward the short end uh, of the curve and therefore trying to really emphasize that this is not QE. But on the back of those comments, on the back of escalation and trade tensions in the lead up to those trade talks, we have seen markets turn lower yet again. Let's take a look at Asian markets and see what we're looking like in the overnight session. Losses across the board here, albeit the s- magnitude of the loss is fairly contained. The Hang Seng down about 0.7%. The Nikkei 225 over in Japan down about the same. And on the mainland, Shanghai Composite down about 0.1%. Shifting gears and taking a look at Europe and uh, what this weakness means for European opening calls, we are looking at a fairly mixed picture but very muted start as inv- investors really seem to be in wait-and-see mode ahead of those U.S.-China trade talks. Uh, of course, Brexit front and center as well. We'll be getting out to Willem in Luxembourg shortly with the latest FTSE 100 looking at a fairly flat open right alongside the DAX, the CAC, and the FTSE MIB. Now let's get out to Eunice, who joins us now from Beijing. Eunice, in the lead up to these trade talks, uh, it has been quite a rocky road with the latest coming on the visa restriction front. Uh, Give us uh, the details around the U.S. imposition of these visa restrictions and how this sets us up for these new trade talks.
4: Well, the State Department says that these visa restrictions are for Chinese officials who uh, they believe are either responsible or complicit in the detention and abuse of the uh, Muslim minority population in China's far west. Uh, these people are known as the Uyghurs. So uh, the State Department said that uh, the people on the list are going to be government officials, Communist Party members, as well as uh, possibly some of their family members. Um And the uh, state, the Secretary of State, um, um, Mike Pompeo had said that uh, this decision is uh, complementary to the um, decision that the U.S. made yesterday when they wanted to blacklist uh, 28 uh, Chinese entities for the same reason. So um, the Secretary of State is calling for what he described, an immediate end of repression, um, internment as well of China's Muslim minorities. China, though, has condemned the U.S.'s move. Uh, The Chinese embassy in Washington said it, quote, Seriously violates the basic norms governing international relations, and that the human rights issue is a quote, made up pretext for U.S. interference. Now, Beijing wants American businesses as well to stay out of what China believes are domestic uh, Chinese affairs. Uh, The NBA's chief arrives in China today, and uh, Commissioner Adam Silver has said that he hopes to clarify the NBA's position about a tweet that the general manager of the Houston Rockets had put out, which has been seen as supporting the uh, protesters in Hong Kong and just created an uproar um, here in the mainland. So uh, Silver said that the NBA won't regulate what players, employees and team owners say. And uh, um, he told reporters in Tokyo that the league would have to live with the consequences. So um, the NBA is definitely living with the consequences. There are several companies now, Chinese partners, uh, who have announced uh, that they are either ditching altogether or suspending ties with the NBA. Uh, also, the state broadcaster, CCTV, and uh, Tencent, which is uh, um, a private uh, company which streams uh, NBA games online, have both said that they're going to be um, halting the broadcast of the preseason games for now. Um, the NBA, um, has been. And this whole affair has been raising a lot of questions here as to whether or not this is a a turning point for the relationship between Beijing and foreign firms, because uh, up until now, most international companies, when they've gotten to a scrape with Beijing, have very quickly apologized. This time, uh, the NBA is uh, appears to be willing to get into a, a larger clash with Beijing and take the financial hit. So that's um, been raising questions as to whether or not this is going to be a new formula going forward for foreign companies. Now, one company that might end up um, at the forefront of this experiment is Apple because the People's Daily, which is a Communist Party paper, has been attacking Apple and saying that the company um, should not be, um, or suggesting that the company should not have a certain app um, on its app store. And this app, is one that protesters have been using, a protesters in Hong Kong have been using to track the movements of the police. So in that commentary, the People's Daily asks, escorting thugs? Are you sure about that, Apple? So uh, shares of Apple suppliers today fell. And a lot of that is likely because investors are getting a little bit nervous about what the future holds than for the U.S. company. Guys? Yunus, thank you very much for bringing us detail
2: on that range of issues in the lead-up to those trade talks. Let's bring in uh, Vasilyosky-Anakis, global head of FX strategy at Bank Lombard ODA. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us this morning. So we just heard from Yunus Yun, our reporter out in Beijing, about the escalation in various tensions in the lead-up to these U.S.-China trade talks. Uh, Have these developments, the U.S. imposition of visa restrictions, the NBA saga, have these dampened your hopes of uh, an interim agreement come these talks uh, later this week?
0: Well, the reality of the matter is that uh, we have actually seen before in the in the run up to uh, some uh, high level discussions, um, we have had uh, in the past a number of thirds and an, and a number of uh, potential uh, implementation of additional measures. Nonetheless, uh, you know, I think um, uh, what, what is likely to happen is uh, uh, out of this meeting is that likely we're unlikely to get any major fireworks, if you like. Um, uh, the, the situation remains troublesome. I think it's highly unlikely we're going to. Get a major uh, resolution, I think the, the the big question here is that uh, over the past year we have a, a, had a significant increase in tariffs uh, from from both sides. Um, uh, the best I think we can really hope is that we're going to get some sort of a ceasefire in the sense that t- tariffs are going to remain where roughly where they are right now. And I'm talking in terms of, of global growth and potential ramifications for markets. But are we going to get into a point where we're going to have a full-blown resolution so that tra- uh, tariffs are going to start uh, uh, being unwound? I think it's highly unlikely currently.
1: Vasilias, what does that mean in terms of risk event for the U.S. dollar? We had David Bloom on this week and he's been a dollar bull for a long time. And what we've now got is a dollar that's trading towards the higher end of its 2019 range. How much of these assumptions are now priced into that currency?
0: Look, I think it's a fascinating question, uh, and I have to admit, you know, the, this year um, we have had a relatively bearish view on the dollar, and it hasn't really played out. But first of all, before going into the details, we need to get the facts right. The big appreciation in the dollar actually happened last year, uh, which was between March and April 2018, and sometime in October November, when we had the peaks yielding. Since then, we had a marginal upside tendency, the dollar, but uh, trade-weighted indices uh, Um, are are about one and a half percent so far on a year-to-date basis. So I think The issue this year has not been further dollar strength, but rather that the dollar has remained strong. And I think uh, by and large, the predominant reason for that has been an increase in risk aversion. We have seen historically, if you look at the past 20, 30 years, whenever you get a flaring up, uh, an increase, even mild increase in volatility, in currency volatility, you do get to tend uh, some increase, uh, some appreciation in the dollar. But having said all that, I think there is another parallel story that is developing, and that's the dollar valuation. Last year, when we got the fairing up of risk aversion, we got the dollar appreciating. The dollar was trading roughly at fair value. Right now, however, we seem to be approaching relatively stretched levels, and that uh, in in our um, uh, framework uh, implies overvaluation of approximately 10%. So I think on one hand, you have the risk aversion that tends to put upward pressure on the dollar. On the other hand, you seem to be getting a stretched valuation. So I think uh, on a net-net basis, short-term, we shouldn't really expect big moves. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, if, if we look uh, nine, 12 months out from here and assuming that we're going to get some sort of stabilization in geopolitics as well as trade, I think the case for a lower dollar still remains.
2: Vasilios, so let's just hit on the RMB. We've now passed October 1st, which was that key uh, anniversary for Beijing. And we obviously saw some stabilization in the renminbi around that date. Now that that's behind us, what are you thinking in terms of the RMB and the implications from these trade talks?
0: Right, I think that's a very interesting question, and and, and our view all along um, has been that uh, Beijing uh, has sent quite a, a a lot of actually signals into the market that uh, uh, they really want to ensure financial stability. So um, uh, it it has been, uh, uh, if you like, a game of a, of a current and a stick in the sense that yes, they are getting hit by tariffs; they have to allow the currency to weaken to offset some of that. But at the same time, no big drama has played out. Uh, we've picked in dollar china somewhere around 718719 and since then we have gravitated lower Trading just above the 710 uh, threshold, and our view is that we're going to remain within um, close distance of that level, largely because um, uh, the uh, the Bank of Japan, the, the, sorry, the Bank of China uh, wants to ensure that uh, it controls the currency. Uh, let's not forget, um, that it controls the currency in a way that it doesn't allow it to weaken that much. I think it's it's really important to remember uh, that um, uh, these people are in for the long run. They have a long-term strategic plan. And they have made enormous moves over the past uh, five years or so. Um, the RMNB is included in a number of uh, indices. It's been used marginally so as a very very small quantities as a reserve currency so um uh the chinese i don't think they're willing to jeopardize all that by allowing a significant uh weakening of the currency and therefore uh, running the risk of being uh, accused that they're manipulating the currency so unless we get a big drama uh in in uh, us uh, china trade relations uh, i really think that we will be uh, hovering around current levels for some time
1: Vasilius, uh, thank you very much for that and the comments on trade. And we'll come back to you in just a moment if you can stay right there. South Park creators Matt Stone and Trey Parker have issued a tongue-in-cheek apology to China after the long-running US comedy was reportedly banned in the country. For more on that brewing row, you can head to cnbc.com. Quote, the time is now upon the Federal Reserve to increase its balance sheet. Those were the words of Chair Jerome Powell in a speech in Colorado as he looks to address funding issues. Powell stressed, however, that these measures should not be interpreted as QE.
2: Growth of our balance sheet for reserve management purposes should in no way be confused with the large-scale asset purchase programs that we deployed after the financial crisis. Neither the recent technical issues nor the purchases of Treasury bills we are contemplating to resolve them should materially alter the stance of monetary policy.
1: A quick look at the reaction on markets and uh, the two-year yielding 1.42, very similar to where it was in uh, the uh, session yesterday and we're at 1.53 on the 10-year. There was uh, just a little bit of a mild steepening on the yield curve in the Asia trade on the back of some of Powell's comments.
2: Meanwhile, Chicago Fed President Charles Evans has said he, quote, wouldn't mind another rate cut. Evans told reporters that a further cut to interest rates could provide some insurance, adding that downside risks to the U.S. economy are now greater than the upside risks. Vasiliosa, I want to bring you back in here on what we heard from Jerome Powell yesterday in Denver. How much impact do you think this is going to have on financial conditions? This purchase of T-bills, which he was very, very clear to say was not the same as a new round of QE?
0: Oh, I don't think that it alters the the medium uh, term path of monetary policy in any way, shape or form or that of financial conditions. And I think we need to be very, very careful uh, about the reasons why the Fed is doing this. And uh, and I think Powell was uh, um, uh, very clear yesterday and very right in saying that this should not be into as another round of asset purchases. Recall back, uh, back in, in, in uh, the years of the Great Recession, the, the reason why uh, the Federal Reserve injected money into the system through asset purchases and uh, uh, rate cut and uh, 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 interest rate reductions uh, was because lending channels were repaired because everyone was afraid the credit risk that they were taking. This is not the case right now. Uh, this is largely due to a technical issue, potentially some overconfidence by the Fed uh, about the appropriate level of reserves which they are currently addressing. Uh, so in in that respect, that by itself, it definitely smooths the short-term uh, path of of liquidity because there was a technical issue there. But I don't don't think it has to do anything significant with medium term financial conditions or the path of monetary policy.
1: Lisa, it could pull off a magic trick for markets though, couldn't it? And stay with me on this. Uh, BTIG has been writing reports saying effectively that expect the majority of buying to be a 90 days in duration, not on a set schedule. And effectively, uh, the move would be a supportive one for liquidity needs. But it could also have the benefit of steepening the yield curve. So more demand for short-term paper effectively would push up the yield curve, taking us away from that inverted yield curve that the market has been stressing about as a signal of an incoming recession. So it could be a magic trick for markets, couldn't it, if we see that yield curve disappear, inverted yield curve disappear?
0: Uh, you mean uh, we could get a re-steepening of the curve? Uh, I think, uh, yes, that's that's possible. But I think to a large extent, uh, this potentially will be driven by the fact that, uh, as we expect, the Fed is going to keep on cutting rates uh and 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 in periods like this at least in the short term as the fed is still uh in a cutting mode you are going to get a um uh a, a a steepening of the curve as the short end is being drawn uh, uh is being drawn lower um have but i'm i'm still struggling to see that um uh, the liquidity injections by themselves which are organic balance sheet growth as as Powell has um, uh has called them are going to have a long lasting material effect on the shape of the yield curve
1: So just quickly before we let you go, give us a sense of what you're looking at on FX markets because we've had some fairly strong trades, including a bit of a safe haven bit in the markets of late. Uh, What do you make of one of your more compelling convictions?
0: Uh, it's, it's an extremely difficult market, very difficult market, and that, that's largely because the big and known there uh, is how trade policies and, in general, how US policies are going to pan out. And we are unfortunately in a situation where uh, these things are very unpredictable. I think in the short term, I'll be honest with you, we don't have uh, very strong convictions, potentially some further upside uh, in, in the yen across majors. Um, if, if you look at medium to long term, and under our assumption, that we're not going to face a US recession and therefore a global recession. We still think that the dollar is going to trade uh, lower. Uh, The euro, I think, uh, we have seen the bottom, potentially in the short term is going to trade at these levels, but I still think on a a a six-month, nine-month basis is going to be higher than it is.
1: So perhaps the bottoms in the euro is uh, what we're witnessing. Thank you very much for those messages. Vasilya Sajinakis, the global head of FX strategy bank at Lombard Odia with us today. Coming up on the show, EU President Donald Tusk accuses the UK of engaging in a stupid blame game as Brexit talks hit a wall over the Irish backstop. More live from Luxembourg when we return.
2: And if you just can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune in to our very own podcast. Head to cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to have a listen and download today's episode. And for our listeners, stick around for more.
1: A CNBC signature event. Irish Prime Minister Leo Varadkar says it will be, quote, very difficult to secure a Brexit deal by next week in the latest sign that talks are in serious trouble. This after a Downing Street source told British media that German Chancellor Angela Merkel believes an agreement is, quote, overwhelmingly unlikely. Let's get out to Willem for more in Luxembourg. Willem, the negativity has been setting in in the last 24 hours. Just give us a sense of where we stand and what the likely chances are of achieving a Brexit by the end of the month.
3: Well, if you listen to Leo Varadkar, as you mentioned there, talking to Irish broadcaster RTE last night, he said it would be very difficult. He said that essentially the Johnson administration had repudiated many parts of the deal that had been negotiated with his predecessor, Theresa May, and then tried to claim that when they put elements of the deal back on the table, that in and itself was a concession. In terms of the domestic criticism, not something you can ignore easily as well. Of course, you've got the parliament now suspended for the next few days ahead of the next queen's speech on monday that's essentially the reopening of parliament with a new set of legislative priorities and keir starmer the opposition labor party spokesperson on brexit he did not hold back in his criticism of what mr johnson was doing
2: the prime minister should be
0: here talks with the eu are collapsing as we speak the proposals the government put forward last week were never going to work And instead of reacting to challenge by adapting the proposals, the government is intent on collapsing the talks and engaging in a reckless blame game. And it will be working people who pay the price. The Prime Minister should be here to account for his actions. And Mr Speaker, it's no good pretending that the proposals put forward would work. That simply isn't going to wash.
3: So how are the Europeans receiving these proposals that uh, he just mentioned there? Well, yesterday, the president of the Italian Parliament, an Italian, David Sassoli, he met at Downing Street with Boris Johnson. Don't forget, of course, that not only the British Parliament, not only all the national parliaments, but the European Parliament also have to agree to any new deal before it can become de facto law. He, after that meeting with Boris Johnson himself, not thrilled at the way things were going. He said the proposals that the British had put forward last week were not, quote, immediately operable. We saw after that phone call between Boris Johnson and Angela Merkel that Downing Street leaked details of the call. They said the Germans had hardened their position, that a deal under these current terms would be essentially impossible. And after that, Donald Tusk, the man that will be hosting these European leaders next week in Brussels, he tweeted a criticism of Boris Johnson, in which he talked about trying to win a, quote, stupid blame game. And then finally, Jean-Claude Juncker, the Commission President, the man whose executive branch of the EU has been responsible for these negotiations on behalf of all 27 other EU member states, he gave an interview to the newspaper Les Echos in which he talked about the fact that he did not accept the blame game that consists of placing the eventual failure of the negotiations on the EU. Quote, if that is the case, the reason will be found in the British camp. He talked about the original sin of Brexit to be found on those British Isles rather than on the European continent. As you can see, guys, a lot of anger on both sides at this point, And that likelihood of a deal between now and next week when these leaders meet seems to be getting increasingly smaller.
2: Willem, thank you very much for the latest. Let's take a look at sterling, which yesterday hit a one-month low versus the dollar. Uh, and as Willem just outlined there, tensions obviously running extremely high, a major gap still between the two sides as we head into a crucial week for Brexit. There on your screen, you see sterling trading around $1.22 versus the dollar, slipping a little bit this morning as well, about 0.09%. Let's get back to Vasilius Giannakis, global head of FX strategy, Banke lombard the uh, Vasilios, as Willem outlined there, a very tough backdrop as we head into the crucial EU meeting next week. What are you thinking in terms of Brexit at this point? Is there any way we actually see the UK leave the European Union on October 31st?
0: Well, look, uh, the, the, the way things uh, have actually panned out, and especially with the uh, passing of the bill um, uh, earlier in, in, in September. Uh, I think the probability in general of, of a no deal Brexit on the 31st of October has definitely gone down. And it's, it's, it's a, it's quite an unlikely that having said all that, the tail risk of a no deal Brexit at a later stage is still there. It hasn't diminished. So from that respect, that risk premium is still going to be embedded in sterling until we get some more clarity. I think, look, I think it's, it's, it's a futile game to try and guess the exact path of how things are going to pound and out over the next couple of months or so. What I think uh, uh, it seems very likely right now is that the negotiations, as far as the proposal by Boris Johnson and the UK administration has been put forth, is Uh, is very likely to fail. Uh, I think that was clear right from the beginning, largely because it was a revamp of uh, some previous uh, UK proposals that were outright denied by the European Union. Uh, And I think uh, what is likely is that uh, uh, Boris Johnson is going to be forced to ask for an extension. An extension will be granted and I think that we're going to go into a general election mode uh, sometime in in November. Then a lot of things can can actually happen. I think really it's a very, very, difficult game to try and and guess the exact path we're going to get there. Our central scenario remains that we're going to have some sort of a deal uh, which means that that risk premium already embedded in sterling is going to get priced out so there's going to be some uh, good upside potential uh, in in sterling crosses having said uh, that right now we're not ready to jump into the uh, sterling long trade largely because the tail risk premium is is, uh, the tail risk is really present.